This morning's reading is taken from Luke chapter 12, verses 49 to 56. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He said to the crowd, When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, It's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, It's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites! You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we need your help. Holy Spirit, we ask you to open up sacred scripture for us. Open us up to your word. Lord, rally us round your flag. Amen. We are much more comfortable, aren't we, with the idea of the Prince of Peace than with that of the avenging Lord coming in judgment. So, what happened to the Prince of Peace in this passage? This is one of those chunks of scripture that no one chooses to preach on as a rule unless they can't avoid it. And um, it's a good reason why it's good to have the lectionary or to work through a whole book rather than taking selected chunks on a theme. There was a communist pamphlet a few years ago, a few decades ago now, uh, and it cited just this passage as a good reason for condemning Christianity. Say, oh, well, you know, he said himself he came to bring division because gentle Jesus, meek and mild, this ain't. So what's going on here? Well, we need to explore the context Bear with me as I take you back through to the beginning of Luke chapter 11. There, he taught his disciples the Lord's Prayer. And as soon as he'd done that, he went on to explain that our Father in heaven is longing to give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. But then he casts out an evil spirit. And some people say, verse 15 of chapter 11, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. So Jesus has to teach them about spiritual warfare, the spiritual battle, the clash of the kingdoms. Now, by that time, the Pharisees have already, the local Pharisees, have pretty well decided that he's a heretic. And so a commission of lawyers and Pharisees has come down from Jerusalem to sort of suss him out a bit, and so they can make a definitive recommendation as to what ought to be done with him. And so they invite him to dinner, just give him a chance to sort of see him off and he's off his guard, question him a bit more. Uh, without it being too obvious. But so far from being a polite dinner guest, Jesus behaves really pretty offensively towards them. You fools, he says, verse 40. Woe to you, Pharisees, verse 42. Woe to you, Pharisees, again, verse 43. Woe to you, lawyers, also, verses 46 and 51. 
Well, not surprisingly after that, verse 53, the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. But Jesus teaches his disciples, chapter 12, verse 1, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. And what we've got in these chapters is a head-to-head confrontation between two worldviews, that of the world, as represented by the religious establishment, and that of the kingdom of God. But Jesus' point is that the world's position isn't just neutral territory midway between God's kingdom and the devil's. It's land which has already been occupied by the enemy. That's why he warns 12, 5, and 6, I tell you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do, because that's just earthly level. But I'll warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Because that's the spiritual level. And there is a spiritual war raging and eternal destinies are decided by the choices we make now. Verse 8, I tell you, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge also before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. What happens at this earthly level has spiritual significance in the kingdom. So we have to be quite clear. Are we going to allow ourselves to be ruled by the Holy Spirit? Or are we going to deprive ourselves of God's forgiveness? Verse 10. And then Jesus goes on to apply that to practical living in the everyday, verses 13 to 34. Squabbling over an inheritance, busting a gut to accumulate wealth, fretting about mundane considerations, failing to be generous because our lives are ruled by fear. Well, these are all just earthly-level distractions from what's of eternal importance. So Jesus says, no, no, no. Instead, keep alert to the spiritual realities, your heavenly accountability and your heavenly reward. But dear old Simon Peter, it's almost always him, isn't it? Dear old Simon Peter wants to know uh, whether what Jesus is saying, is that true of everybody or is it just us, your closest followers? And Jesus' reply makes it clear that the more divine revelation you've been given, the higher God's expectation of you. Because if you do have insights into the spiritual realities, then the more shame on you if you ignore them. Because then you are acting contrary to the Holy Spirit. That's why it's the unforgivable sin. If the Holy Spirit has actually enlightened you and informed you and is telling you what to do and you are deliberately doing the opposite, well, you are in no position to receive forgiveness. You're persisting in that. Well, all right. So I've taken a long time to get to today's passage. But do you see what's happening? Jesus is talking about nothing less than the great divide. There is an immeasurable gulf between the kingdom of heaven on the one side and the world, the flesh, and the devil on the other. And the church today in some quarters does a terrible thing in the way it so often blurs the boundaries and treats the earth as a sort of grey area. Because John 12, verse 31, the ruler of this world is the devil. For generations, God has suffered humanity at large to chug along in their daily lives with the opportunity of learning about his will from the prophets whom he'd sent, responding to it as best they can. 
But in Jesus, there is going to be an entirely fresh start. Do you remember John 15, verse 22? Jesus said, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now, they have no excuse for their sin. From now on, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are going to be equipped to lead God's life. And if we've been given that power and turned our backs on it, then woe betide us. So think of an island which has long been occupied by a brutal alien oppressor, a usurper, a vicious dictator. But now the rightful prince has secretly landed. He's raised his banner and called for everyone to rally to it. And those who refuse are double-dyed traitors to the cause. He doesn't condemn those who found themselves obliged to collaborate a bit with the enemy in earlier days. There's a general amnesty. But woe betide those who refuse to join him now. Not everyone is going to respond to his summons. All too many have vested interests in the usurping regime. So there will be split households, three against two, father against son, etc. And yet the prince yearns for all his people to respond to him. The nearest parallel I can think of was Bonnie Prince Charlie raising the standard of rebellion at Glenfinnan in 1745. Slightly unfortunate example in some ways because, of course, he lost. Um, but but the, that idea, here is the true prince, he's arriving, he plants his banner, and the cry goes out, will you join me? And the prince yearns for everybody to join him, so in anguish, Jesus cries out, can't you see what's going on before your very eyes? You try to read the signs of the times, you study the weather forecasts, you listen to the Today programme to make sense of the state of the world. And all the time, here is the great spiritual issue of eternity staring you in the face. How can you be so blind? It's hypocrisy to lay claim to any significant understanding of reality if you ignore the great divide yawning in front of you. There's no excuse. The death and resurrection of Jesus is the bomb that is thrown into the middle of the enemy's headquarters to start the insurrection against the devil's rule. This is the fire which Jesus has come to cast on the earth, verse 49 in our passage. How he wishes it were already on the way. He's going to have to suffer and to die. He's going to have to become sin for our sake, to take our punishment on his shoulders so that the great revolt can begin. This is the baptism of suffering which he is going to have to undergo. How great is his distress until it's accomplished. The Prince of Peace surrenders his own peace in agony on the cross to usher in a new reign the kingdom of shalom, of wholeness and grace and love and truth and justice. His eternal heavenly peace, the kingdom of God. And the only alternative is a world governed by brutality, hatred, injustice, betrayal, torture and death, ending in eternal separation from the Lord of life. And to put an end to that, Jesus undergoes it all himself. He gets into the heart of it. He surrenders himself to the very core of it and bursts it open, breaks open the law of sin and death. 
And just as he did to his first disciples, he utters to the world his ringing cry of freedom, follow me. At this point, I want to break into da da dee 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 da 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 dee 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 dee. But Davina said that angry men wasn't a helpful analogy, but, but you get an idea of that. So, so here's the insurrection. We're standing against the enemy. Yes, there will be division and hostility. Yes, there will be those who support the old regime and hate you for joining those who are turning the world upside down. The die is cast. Jesus said, those who are not for me are against me. Now, the fact that we're here presumably indicates that we are those who have made that choice. How do we follow through in the great insurrection? The world, the flesh, and the devil may attack us, will attack us. We may have to suffer hard knocks. Satan will throw at us everything in his armory, hostility, illness, attacks on our faith, you name it. But all these enemy attacks aren't so much aimed at us individually as at the one behind us, the one whom we represent, our prince. And we have a choice. We can either respond to what comes at us in faith and love and peace, sucking them up, accepting the blows by his grace and turning them into goodness. Or... We can refuse to accept them in grace. Instead, we can weave and dodge, we can swear and get angry and bitter, adding our measure of bile to the mix. But remember this. Every blow which we refuse to accept in grace lands on the one who stands behind us, our dear suffering Lord Jesus. Whereas... Every time we react in simple trust to the horridness which the world is throwing at us and we trust him, we bring joy to the heart of Jesus. That's the message of the book of Job. Joy is our act of rebellion. If you've responded to the summons of the Prince of Peace, then you know how he is placing his hope in you. Next time something unpleasant occurs in your life, remember which side you're on. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you gave your back to the smiters. You underwent shame, degradation, such hostility to yourself, betrayal, the agony of the cross and also that you could start the overthrow of the law of sin and death the world, the flesh and the devil and you have called us to stand with you in the overturning of the world Lord what a privilege thank you thank you that we are called to the banner of such a prince Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you equip us with your courage and boldness, your love, your peace, your joy. So help us, Lord, to deploy those weapons against anything the enemy may throw. And thank you that in you we have the victory. Amen.